0: Yeah. And I think it's just training your eyes, just like, and the great thing is training your eyes to see posture and training your hands to palpate and to differentiate postural deviations is much easier
1: than pulse diagnosis. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. We all have a creation story. Patients have one about their illness, and we have one about why we do what we do and why it matters. Creation stories help to answer the question, why is life like this right now? And they set the foreshadowing of what might happen later at the end of our days. All mythology has a creation story. It's the bones of any belief system, a touchstone for how to make sense of how our experience unfolds in this world. Creation stories are the whisper behind the whisper, the thoughts that tell us who we are, why we are a certain way. These stories frame how and where our perception shines its focus, allows in or rules out the live stream of the world. These stories are cultural. They give identity. They let us know what tribe we belong to and which ones we don't. And regardless of whether we are dividing light from dark, exploding from nothingness to somethingness, the children of a celestial being, and whether we're created or part of the creative process itself, There is this curious human urge to make sense of the present by framing it in a particular moment of becoming from the past. Creation stories are a part of our clinical encounters. Patients have a story about their illness. They are as much looking for confirmation of their story as they are a fresh perspective on something that's been troubling enough to have them make an appointment to come see you for the problem they have. The limits of what's possible or not can be rooted in a family story of how things are or a belief that limits how the world works. I don't know about you, but I found that in my clinical work, patients sometimes come in arguing for why they can't change something in their life. Something that clearly is bringing on the headaches, relationship troubles, weight gain, or disturbed sleep. Especially when I hear how they make a badge of honor about something that's causing them deep suffering. I wonder about the creation story behind this behavior and how it served them well in one particular moment, but is the source of incredible suffering for so many other moments of life. Sometimes the root of a problem is the reference story that we go back to. Enlarge the frame on that story or notice how the younger self only saw a snapshot of what was a much larger movie and the experience and perception of this moment that can also change. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation about posture, body mechanics, how the musculoskeletal system works, and use of the knife needle. Now, I know that you types love learning, and so I've got a few things here that I think might be right up your alley. If you're one of those hands-on practitioners, you make sense through what you feel, or you'd like to be able to better use your sense of touch and palpation to better understand and treat your patients, then you'll want to check out the classes being offered by Josh Margolis, November 9th and 10th in gorgeous, beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. Josh was on Geological in show number 91, and we talked about using osteopathic sensing to help guide us in our clinical work. This class will be on diagnosing and treating the pelvis, lumbar, spine, and lower extremities. Yep, the bread and butter of so many acupuncture practices. If using hands is a big piece of the work you do, or you'd like to be able to better rely on your hands for helpful information so you can better treat your patients, then check out the show notes page of this episode for a link that will take you to his website for more information. Back when I was in acupuncture school, there was this stapled together zine that came out every now and then called The Newsletter of the Australian Chinese Medicine Education and Research Council. That's a mouthful. It was a super cool publication and full of stuff that we weren't learning in school at the time. That newsletter has over the years morphed into the beautifully laid out publication that I look forward to three times a year. Yep, I'm talking about The Lantern. The Lantern is for those of you that have a taste for the classical medicine. Here, you're going to find translations from doctors that span the centuries and are relevant to our modern clinical work. There's some Dallas wisdom, engaging editorials, case studies that remind you of issues that you too face in clinic, along with a tasty mix of book reviews, poetry and some fiction, and my favorite, the sage advice of Auntie Babak, a true master of business acumen and human nature. I love The Lantern because it clings to the classical roots of Chinese medicine and invites us to apply these methods and perspectives in our modern work. Visit www.thelantern.com.au to read some free articles and get a taste for what they're up to. Again, that's www.thelantern.com.au. Remember, put that AU at the end as this Chinese medicine gem comes to you from our friends down under. Our buddy Phil Settles asks this question, how does acupuncture work? You know, there's a principle that everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. It's easy to say that acupuncture works by moving chi in the channels or moving oxygen in the blood vessels or reducing inflammation, so on and so forth, but are those common responses too simple? An effective answer would be both accurate and crafted to resonate with the person asking the question. And it ought to reflect both the Chinese medicine tradition and modern science. And that is where Dr. John McDonald shines, as he's rooted in both historical classics and modern scientific research. Dr. John McDonald will be coming back to the United States this November 16th and 17th, and he will be teaching at ACCHS. Yep, that's Phil's school in Oakland, California. You'll find the details at acchs.edu. In their continuing education section. Big thanks as ever to the folks at Golden Needle. Golden Needle supports Geological because they know that a successful practice is more than having access to a box of needles. The folks at Golden Needle are dedicated to health, well-being, and serving the practitioners who treat their patients with natural methods. And Golden Needle knows that medicine is what we practice, but medicine is also something that's cultivated. You might be introduced to something in school, but it's in your clinical practice that this stuff actually takes root. It's in your encounters with patients that knowledge transforms into wisdom, and through our difficulties and failures that we have the opportunity to learn something new. Golden Needle, supplies for your clinic, nourishment for your mind. Brand Bowen, welcome to Cheological.
0: Hey, thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's always fun to talk about different aspects of Chinese medicine that I don't know Jack about. Uh, (laughs) I'd like to know what got you into acupuncture in the first place. You know, I mean, I think we are of an age, we're not told in high school, hey, kid, go check out acupuncture as a career.
0: You know, mine's not like this amazing heroic story where some people got in traumatic car accidents or fell off a horse and uh, got healed themselves by acupuncture, but it's it's definitely kind of a fun one. Um, I grew up in uh, Missouri. And so, sure. you know it was, yeah, you're you're in St. Louis, so I, right in the neck youward. So back in the day, you know, in ninety two, I'd never heard of acupuncture uh, being in the Midwest. I was itching to get out of out of Missouri, so I moved to california to to go to school. And when I moved there, I met some uh, different friends, and I had this uh, one friend of mine who was getting ready to have a knee surgery. And his mom was into more natural holistic medicine. And so she made him go have some acupuncture first. And so he did three sessions of acupuncture and totally avoided the knee surgery. So I was mesmerized. Once you have awareness of something, you start seeing it more and more. So I started seeing TV commercials about acupuncture. And so I decided that I was going to be an acupuncturist. So why not just call an acupuncture supply company and ask them uh, to purchase some needles? So I was 18 and <laughs> called an <laughs> eighteen. <laughs> uh, years old. Yeah. So I was 18 and I called an acupuncture supply company and I'm like, I need to uh, purchase some acupuncture needles. And they're like, all right, what size are you looking for? I'm like, what sizes do you have? I have no idea what I'm talking about.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) at the age of 18, you can like totally do this and not be self-conscious.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was all in. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I was all in for sure. Um, So they're like, well, wait a second. Are you an acupuncturist? I'm like, no. They're like, were you an acupuncture student? No. Well, you can't buy acupuncture needles. I'm like, well, okay. Well, what do you got to do to make that happen? And so they're like, well, you have to go to school for that. So anyway, uh, I was spinning my wheels, taking classes that I just didn't feel like uh, I was on my right path. And that always stuck in my mind. And so I moved back to Missouri for a bit and started a catering company. So I have a passion for food and just uh, had a bad business partner and was kind of spinning my wheels there, thinking about what's next. My girlfriend's Girlfriend was leaving town, so she was really upset. And I'm like, "Well, what what is she doing? Where's she going?" And she's like, "Well, she's going to massage school." That hit me since I was always working on people. So I was driving around town one day trying to figure out where am I going to go? What's going to happen? And so James Taylor came on the radio and started singing "Going to Carolina" in my mind. Oh So I took that as an omen, (laughs) and uh, you know, you got to listen to him. Took it as an omen. Went and bought a, a massage journal. Uh, Magazine. And in the back, there was a list of approved massage schools. And there was one in North Carolina at the time. And so I went and checked it out. And like it was all the perfect fit. It was like, uh, you know, the universe was definitely talking to me. And so during my studies there, one of my anatomy instructors that was uh, um, there was an acupuncturist. So, you know, he kind of reintroduced me to it, gave me some needles, gave me a couple books, and I started poking away on myself. Then I went to acupuncture school. So, Again, not a glorious uh, story as far as like uh, some self-healing or awakening in that way, but uh, definitely uh, the universe was uh, helping guide me.
1: You know, I suspect the universe does guide us. And there are those incredible stories. People have had these horrible things happen, an illness, an accident, whatever. I'm so glad that I didn't have to go through that myself. Yeah, me too. To find my way here, right? I had these more gentle nudges like you, and it took me a long time to decide to do it. I I think we all have our paths and and, and at the same time, whether it's, you know, a baseball bat upside the head, whoa, now I've got your attention or this other thing that kind of gestates over time, there are these things that they kind of show up. And if we're paying attention, right, you listen to the right James Taylor song at the right moment and you go, yes, I'm going to go look at this. It's funny, these small little things. It's like these little course corrections, right? It could it could have gone here, or it could have gone there, but you you chose the one that took you to North Carolina, and then I like nudges;
0: they're much better than the baseball bat.
1: I prefer the nudges too. I get the bat on occasion. Mm-hmm. That just means pay more attention to it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Sometimes it's necessary. We get we get stuck in that uh, tunnel vision sometimes.
1: Yeah. So you've got this background in body work. Yes. That underlies your work with acupuncture.
0: Mm-hmm. So I've been doing body work for twenty years. And acupuncture for 19, 18, 19 years. Actually, maybe it's 21 and 18. It's, you know, you get it. It's just like anything. When you go to school, one door opens another. And so when I was in massage school, I got, you know, you get exposed to a lot of of different types and styles of body work. And So for me, I become kind of addicted to learning things. And so, you know, I love taking classes. So I did a lot of different stuff after that with like neuromuscular therapy, structural integration, cranial sacral, and just kind of getting involved with everything to really understand the body's dynamics and how, you know, all of those work. I never really believed that there's one right therapy for everybody, you know? So trying to understand like, how do you understand the body and decide what tool you need? which is the right tool at that moment. Um, so I always get a little nervous when when you go to a practitioner and they're that specific style or technique or whatever is the, the holy grail that can fix everything. Um, it's kind of some red flags, I think, that the body has a lot of dynamics to it and sometimes it's multiple tools together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I did an immersion into, into that world. Also uh, studied postural alignment therapy and became a postural alignment specialist Just kind of continued with that path with adding more movement therapy. And then I did personal training certification courses to kind of see, like, from that mindset, how does that integrate? Because I'm a a big believer in passive and active therapies. I, I believe you really need the active component,
1: too. So I like to really merge those together. When you say passive and active therapies what does that mean?
0: So passive in the sense that, you know, when you're having somebody manipulate you, whether you're having a chiropractic adjustment or whether you're having a massage, that's more of a passive style of uh, therapy versus, you know, if you're going to a physical therapist and they're giving you exercises, that's certainly more of an active. Now, you can still play an active role in your passive therapies, of course, right? If the, you know, an acupuncturist tells you to take your herbs, you're still active, but not to the component of, engaging your bodies and, and going through that whole neurological process versus somebody just doing something to you. I believe to, especially on a musculoskeletal level, you know, you need that input. It's like a, with Chinese herbs, that's a take home that gives them the regular input they need to help get you to the next level a little quicker. People are not doing acupuncture every day, you know, in the West. So when we're working with musculoskeletal issues, what's that take home? right? What is that input that can help get them to the next level? And also looking for long-term
1: corrections and stability. You mentioned the postural alignment Mm -hmm. piece of it. And, and this is one of those things that for me has kind of been in the background, you know, earlier in the conversation, we were talking about the things that kind of catch your attention, move you in a direction, right? But maybe you don't even know you're being moved in a direction. I've heard a lot of stuff around postural alignment. I I seem to read people in my spare time that talk about like how the body functions and body mechanics and how things are sort of stacked on one another or not and the kinds of problems that can create or the kinds of healing that can come out of just putting things in the right place, right? Chinese medicine, I think, talks about this too. You take out blockages and things just flow better. You pull the kinks out of the hose. The whole thing works a lot better. I find that I'm, I'm often reading about people that talk about posture or postural exercises or just ways of moving in a more mindful way, so that you know that your head is actually over your shoulders and not over like your toes or something. I'm wondering how all that fits into your work these days. It's an integral
0: part uh, for sure. I look at people's posture almost every visit, you know, obviously it depends if where they're at in their series of, of or sessions with me. But my, the philosophy is position versus condition. You can have all kinds of knee conditions. For instance, we can talk about um, runner's knee and we can talk about IT band syndrome and we can talk about all these things. But I think what happens is we get stuck in that kind of tunnel vision on what the diagnosis is and how do you treat runner's knee or how do you treat IT band syndrome? But it's the position that causes all of those conditions. So I think we need to really shift and start thinking about the position of things and how does that kinetic chain work. And if we get things moving and we get things back in their the place where they're supposed to articulate and how they're supposed to move in the right way, then the conditions clear up when we start talking, especially Western medicine diagnosis like bursitis, right? Let's say bursitis of the hip, we're like, oh, I got a great treatment for bursitis. I'm gonna do, you know, three inch needles and I'm gonna circle, you know, the greater trochanter and I'm gonna get down in there and I'm gonna run microcurrent through it, which is awesome. But if that femur is stuck in like external rotation and somebody's going through hip flexion and extension, even just walking on a daily basis then they're constantly gonna be irritating that bursa. So unless we really correct the alignment of the femur, which could also be caused from the foot, looking at that kinetic chain, then really we're not really treating the hole, or the root, as we'd say in Chinese medicine too. So I would say that sometimes you have to put the fire out, right, first, which is fine. Sometimes we just got, the person just wants some relief. Like, let's give them some relief, let's let them understand that acupuncture is an awesome tool. And they're all in, right? But we need to also educate them from that time with the first visit to tell them that we're going to put the fire out today, right? We want to Obviously, we want to try to get the bullseye as much as possible, but we do need to understand and look at your body and understand where this is coming from. Because ideally, wouldn't it be great if it just didn't come back? Wouldn't it be great if you were moving more efficiently, so forth? I think that we can all agree there's a few schools out there that really have a strong orthopedic or or portion of a program that really dives deep into understanding dysfunctions and compensations with body mechanics and how to treat pain um, at that level. I think it's an important piece, especially as we are moving in and really need to continue to evolve Eastern medicine to Western medicine. This is an easy bridge, right? That should be an easy bridge. The the musculoskeletal pain piece, you know, with the opioid epidemic and with, you know, all this stuff and the big Hoopla with uh, dry needling and and things like that. This is it's it's a perfect time to like think about how we're communicating to patients. Think about how we're communicating with patients who are seeing other practitioners, whether it's physical therapy, and trying just to really push to understand it. You know, at that level, to where you know we're gaining more knowledge in in all of these areas to to really help evolve uh, acupuncture and especially musculoskeletal
1: disorders. That makes a lot of sense to me. On a number of levels. I mean, first, as you're talking about, it makes a great bridge. There's also the whole dry needling hoopla out there, which uh, I don't want to get into that at this moment because that's not what this is about. But, it, you know, it's but it's part of the landscape that we're looking at. And there's a whole languaging component. And there's a whole I, I keep coming back to, gosh, when there's something that I'm resisting or something that's causing me trouble what is inside of this that I might learn something from that might be helpful? Right. So there's that piece. And then the other thing that really comes up for me is we can often really put that fire out super well with acupuncture, right? Acupuncture is famous for treating pain. And so people will get a lot of relief often very quickly. And then they're like super disappointed because five days later, well, you know, I slept great for a couple of nights and then my shoulders started waking me up and, you know, they, they get this feeling of, oh, good, I'm going to get better. And then, well, gosh, it's more than just one time or gosh, I need to learn how to reposition my body or, you know, there's all this other stuff that you're talking about in terms of, well, you know, maybe the shoulder hurts because there's a problem with the hip and the problem with the hip is coming from the foot. Let's take care of that foot. Your shoulder is going to get better. And, you know, I think anyone listening to this podcast, we we kind of grok that idea. We caught into that idea. Oh, yeah, a problem can show up here, but it's actually coming from there. It's a great idea, but how we actually learn to see it, understand it, and work with it, I think, is a whole other kettle of fish. For someone like myself that does not have a huge background in body work, like I said, I've been reading a lot about different kinds of postural alignment stuff because it's such a black hole for me. What are some things that acupuncturists can do to begin to see that stuff and to begin to work with it?
0: Well, first, I think that they have to, to be honest with you, go to a little bit of a foundation of taking the time to see it or taking the time to look at it. What I'm finding as I'm teaching my courses, some of the challenging pieces of it is That, um, you know, there's it doesn't feel like there's enough time to do some of these things, and so I try to just let everybody know when you're in acupuncture school, you're doing pulse diagnosis and you're doing tongue diagnosis and you're palpating and you're doing all these things, so it's just incorporating a different set of tools. So, first of all, knowing that you can do it and you can find the time to do it, it's just changing a little bit of a mindset and how you practice and what the flow is when a patient comes into your room, and what the next steps are. So, you know, instead of doing pulse diagnosis, you're gonna be doing a postural analysis. So take that time to do that. Um, Some of the first basic things to look at are the load joints on how they're stacked. So you have four load joints, or eight load joints, four on each side, ankle, knee, hip, shoulder. So even just being able to take a step back from the body, I always have people march in place, and kind of help them reset. And I tell them to stop when they're ready. And then look, you know, forward at the horizon line, don't move, I'm going to be looking at your feet, don't pick your feet up. So coaching the person on how to make this more efficient. And so taking a general snapshot on are those load joints stacked? It's no different than your house, right? You want a good foundation, you want the wall straight, you don't want crooked walls, you don't want. So what do you what do you see? what happens? And then from that front view, when you're looking at that, are the shoulders level? Put your hands, touch the person's top of their hips. Are they level? You know, looking at the ASIS on each side, is there a rotation there? Looking to see if the the knees are pointing straight. You know, if the center of the patella, I always like to say there's a laser beam shooting out of it. Does it shoot in? Does it shoot out? Looking at the foot position, does it pronate in, for instance? And then if you don't know sometimes, so let's say somebody has a bound up SI joint and low back pain on the left side, for instance, and they happen to have a pronation on that left foot. And you're like, okay, well, they have this back pain and there's this little rotation in their pelvis and they're pronated on that left foot. For some people, that's, that's a lot right there, right? But if you don't know what to do with that, go over, put their foot in the right position. Does that correct that rotation in the pelvis? So if you lift that arch up, for instance, and this is just you know an example, if you lift that arch up and you see that all of those other things are correct now, well, then that's something you need to address, right? That's something that if you can fix one thing, it trickles down and fixes four other things, then that's more of a dysfunction. When you do acupuncture, and you're treating the right thing you should see a result instantly so if, if you're doing pulse diagnosis for instance and you you hit the right points you should feel the change in the pulse so when we're doing acupuncture for musculoskeletal and you know again even if it's a corrective exercise you're giving them two you should be able to see that change instantly and so you know and then from a simple side view perspective you know is their knee over their external malleolus is their hip over their knee is their shoulder over their hip is their ear over their shoulder like that vertical load you know, a lot of times people have low back pain and they tend to push those hips forward. And so what happens is if they push the hips forward, it's like they're going to fall on their face, right? So they naturally, I always tell people you have a gyroscope inside your head, just like your iPhone, right? Uh, If you turn your phone one way, it's going to turn too. So our head does that same thing. So you push your hips forward, your head's going to go forward. So it wants to correct, pull you back, and then you're compressing your low back. So you can treat somebody for back pain, but even if you don't, fix that simple vertical load issue, they're compressing their back all day long. So sometimes it's really easy to see and then sometimes you like b- have to bang your head against the wall. But when it's obvious, I suspect
1: it's really obvious.
0: Yeah, and I think tr- it's just training your eyes. Just like, and the great thing is, training your eyes to see posture and training your hands to palpate and to differentiate postural deviations is much easier than pulse diagnosis much much easier than pulse diagnosis Mm -hmm. and why is that well first of all in acupuncture school typically when people are trained to see the body and palpate the body and we have a room full of students usually everybody sees the same thing right it's a bigger more objective thing to you know there's you can see it with pulse it's a very tactile you know thing and it's very subjective as well to to that person so when school i don't know how many times you know, somebody's checking a pulse and the next person checks it and they're like, I don't feel that. And then the teacher comes in and, you know, so everybody kind of has a different interpretation of it where it's a little bit more black and white. It's like either the shoulder's high or it's not high. Now there's little tricks because if there's a rotation, it can appear to be high. But if that, once you take that rotation out, it's actually not high. It's just lower because of the rotation or higher because of the rotation.
1: So you're really learning to see where the problem is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can really, if, if you know how to look, if you learn how to train your eyes to this, you'll be able to see where the problem is. It'll show up in the physiology, won't it?
0: Absolutely. And again, that even trickles down to once you start to understand and, and see the body in that way, you become kind of your own x-ray. Like If I sent you to get x-rays, I could you can almost kind of write down and interpret most likely what those x-rays are going to come back and look like. Oh, L2 is going to be rotated probably this way. You're going to have a little bit more of a bulge between here and here. You can start to to drill that down. It's a fantastic tool, and I think that it, it creates a common language. It is a new language when you start talking about anterior pelvic tilts and torsions and, you know, tibial torsion and and things like that. And it can feel a little bit overwhelming. But compared to learning pinyin, it's much easier. Than learning what? Pinyin. Pinion for Chinese herbs. Oh, pinion! Oh, god! Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) well.
1: So no no kidding. So for someone like myself, and maybe some of the listeners, if I wanted to go and get these basics, learn how to train my eyes to see this kind of stuff, where would I go? I, I mean, it's one thing to look at a book, but it's another thing, I think, to be in person, have people pointing things out, show you, oh, look, this is connected to that, and. Where would I go to do some of this?
0: Obviously, I'm going to be selfish. And my, my, my course I teach um, at Downneedle.com. the level one course is uh, amazing. Um, so you, we,
1: you teach this stuff?
0: Yeah. So in my level one Downneedle therapy course, we go over um, postural charting on how I have a specific way of recording posture. Um, we have postural analysis and we work with each other and identifying those and what those things mean just like in Chinese medicine or Western medicine, even for that fact, we want like three things pointing us to the right direction, right? I hear what you're telling me. I feel what I feel that's also pointing me to the direction of the problem and I see it or whatever those diagnostics are. And so we want to see it, but then we also, and I want to hear what you're saying, but then we also want to prove that too. So we do incorporate what I call functional uh, tests, So you tell me you have back pain. You tell me it's been going on for however amount of time. I'm going to look at your posture and see like, okay, I can see clearly why you have back pain. And here's where I see more of the dysfunction is. And now I want to prove that theory. And so then we teach the functional tests, which those functional tests then become corrective exercises. So if you are positive, which means you failed a a certain test that's like, okay, so I had a posterior pelvic tilt and um, I have low back pain, and you feel the person's spine and there's no curve in it because of the posterior pelvic tilt. Then I'm going to do a test, let's say static wall femur rotations, which is just checking the length of that posterior chain, which I don't want to go too far here, but we get into a lot no, of no, action. no,
1: that's okay. I'm gonna, I, I, I hear you use the word posterior chain. I almost understand what that means but i actually don't quite understand what it means so what are we talking about here
0: yeah so not to deviate too far so especially from we you know we
1: can go as far as we want this is the fun thing about the podcast we you know i get curious about this stuff i'm hoping i can learn a thing or two so you know i can be helpful to my patients i see people do this all the time they come in they got a certain problem we're talking back pain let's say the back pain they've got a story about their back pain Oh, yeah. Everyone has a story about whatever diagnosis or symptom they've got. And sometimes their story is right, and we should pay attention to it. But a lot of times their story, it's just a story, and it's a red herring. And if we believe them, we're not going to be able to help them. Yep,
0: Because
1: they are living in their body, but they got no idea what's actually causing the problem that they've got. What I'm hearing you talk about is that there are some very objective ways – that we can learn to look at, see, and interact with the body so we can be clear about what's going on and and really be able to help our patients. So tell me about posterior chains.
0: So in posterior chain, you typically hear more, that's a more of a terminology in the fitness world, right? Personal training and stuff to talk about, and even physical therapy to, to some degree. But um, that posterior chain, we can also talk about um, from a more of a fascial perspective, which is also musculature connections as well. It's not just all fascia Um, for more of an anatomy from like a a Tom Myers, you know, is a great one who does a lot of the fascial dissections and stuff. And so that posterior chain in those terms, also called the superficial back line. So it connects the plantar fascia to the gastroc, to the gastroc, to the hamstrings, the hamstrings deep to the sacral tuberous ligaments, sacral tuberous ligaments to the paraspinals, paraspinals to the suboccipitals, occipitals all the way up to the frontalis. So basically it's the urinary bladder channel, right? So uh, Tom Myers is a great one who does amazing dissections and, and things like that, you know, from a Western physical, you know, again, PT world, fitness world, like it's always been called that, you know, just like in Chinese medicine, we know it all connects, right? So, right. There's just,
1: just, is he the guy who wrote um, Anatomy Trains?
0: Yep. He wrote Anatomy Trains. Now, there's a great, I just did a class in um, Canada and met an amazing individual. His name's uh, Pony Chang. Oh, yeah. Pony's work is amazing. Yeah. Pony's awesome. So, the great thing is, is, Pony's doing, you know, what Tom Myers is doing as far as the fascial dissections, but he's also crossing them over and taking a look at them as well from um, the Ling Shu and some of the classics and doing those connections. So, so you know, when his book comes out, everybody should definitely check that out. Tom Myers is a great book. And again, a lot of them, you know, whether it's the meridian or whether it's the, the chain, which I like the word chain better than like the fascial line. I'm probably gonna start changing that because you say line, it just doesn't have a certain life to it. You say chain, it's like, oh, okay, this can affect this, this moves here. But when you say line, it's just, it's too static, you know, and just like ushure points. In the course, we we go over mapping and kind of grading ushure points. And because ushure points talk to you in a different language too. They're not just like, it's a tender point, right? The amount of tenderness and the amount of pressure for the mechanical threshold tells you a lot different uh, things versus one tender point versus another. Getting back to in the class when we're looking at posture we want to prove that so we were using the scenario here of somebody with a posterior pelvic tilt so this is a, a common thing so somebody has a low back pain posterior pelvic tilt right maybe their knees are slightly bent okay when you're looking at their when you're looking at their posture and so i start to go okay well this superficial back line right and we'll break it up and do superior and inferior so inferior below the pelvis superior above and so i might decide well i think what's happening is their hamstrings that and their calves or somewhere in that inferior part of that posterior chain or superficial back line is really restricted which is causing that pelvis to be pulled back because of the you know the attachments to the initial tuberosity, pulling the curve out of the spine, causing pain, causing compression because it's taken out the natural curve. So then what you would do then is test that. So we use a common test called static wall femur rotation. So in this scenario, the butt needs to touch the wall, butt touching the floor, legs up the wall, knees locked out, feet flex back. And the most important part in this case is the feet flex back and the knees locked out. If their butt's way up off the floor, they have to scoot back, you know, to keep those feet flexed back and the knees locked out. And the further back they have to scoot, the more that positive it is. So they should, a functional test that tests, you know, that they're perfect and it's not impeding on pulling that pelvis back should be that their butt's touching the wall, legs up the wall, feet flexed back, knees locked out. So that perfect 90 degrees with tension on that line. Let's say you're, you have to scoot back three feet to keep your knees locked out and your feet flexed back. That tells me Without a doubt, we have a problem in that line that's causing that pelvis to be posterior, that's causing that curve in the low back to be pulled out, that's causing that spring that your, your spine should be to be dysfunctional, right? So I'm going to treat your low back directly. I always, you know, Dr. Tan's awesome. He, I like to, his saying that, you know, if it hurts, why stick a needle in it? It already hurts. So, yeah, right. Don't spank a
1: crying baby. Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, I come at it from a different approach uh, where I, I believe if it hurts, you know, I want to break that muscle energy crisis. I want to get new blood flow to the area. I want to get that chi and blood stagnation really moving. I want to break up those restricted fascial fibers. I want to break up, you know, those restricted muscle fibers that's causing a decrease in oxygen and causing that muscle energy crisis. I'm going to really treat it specifically right there, put that fire out. But I do want to make sure, and my, maybe it's not the first visit, but I do want to make sure I come back. And start treating that inferior aspect of that posterior chain. Really understanding, you know, you could find out that hey, they had severe sprained ankles when they were playing basketball, you know, or whatever. And so that sets up a really big imbalance in the the calves and the Achilles and stuff like that. And it could all be coming from there. You free those up, you free those Achilles up, you free that those gastroc's up, and it can free everything else up above as well.
1: Yeah. So, so you really see the those local Asher points as being a deep kind of chi and blood stagnation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just got to break the dam. Yep, sometimes you got to break the dam. And that yep. and that can be super helpful in getting the fire out, so to speak. And then it lets you work on what's downstream. How did that get there in the first place?
0: Yep, exactly. And the Osher points, you know, the great thing, if you take the time to understand them in a different way, um, they become a roadmap for you a roadmap and also a therapeutic gauge on um, how the person is responding and how they're healing. So if you don't know, those are your, if you don't know what's going on at the end of the day, you follow those offshore points. But again, understanding, you have to understand them a little different. Which one's more dysfunctional, right? Which one, you know, and how do you understand that? So, you know, that's something that I, that we go over and that's something that I, you know, live by in my practice because at the end of the day, the patient's body's going to tell you right? So if you can't see it with your eyes and you're like, I think it's something starting down in here, then that's when you, you get into, you know, palpating. And so, you know, there is an art to that, to understanding those usher points, but there's also, you know, some skills that need to be developed with palpation and feeling motion palpation and right where, what a fascial restriction feels like. And, you know, the difference between, you know, super hypertone fibers within a certain muscle grouping. So uh, there's some art to it, but it's, again, it's much easier than, than pulse diagnosis.
1: Well, just having the idea that all usher points are not the same, I, I think is helpful. I mean, in the past I've, I mean, up until having this conversation with you, sometimes I'll, I'll palpate, I'll feel some points and it's like, oh yeah, really, really bound up there, really gummy. Actually, I I do have a little more nuance in that now that I think about it. Because sometimes it's like, oh yeah, it's like there's a little gummy in there, and other times it's like, oh, there's a pebble in there, and there's other times it's it's just it's just kind of gooey. I guess I do have a vocabulary for usher points now that we're having. You're doing fantastic. <laughs> well, I just I'm gonna I'm gonna start inc-
0: incorporating gooey in my work in my material.
1: <laughs> well, I've found with pulses. Over the years, there's all the pulses that we learn in school and that we have to regurgitate for the test. And then there's moments where I'm working with people and I'll put my hand on their pulse and it, and I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Cause it's not like a pulse that I have felt before, or actually there are certain pulses. I will feel them again and again, but it's nothing that I learned in school. Mm-hmm. I've learned over time, I don't know if I've learned, but I've acquired the habit of naming certain pulses in certain ways because I've found them before. It's like, there's, oh, there's that ringing pulse again. And and now it's my job to go figure out what does that mean and how do I treat it? And can I make it go away? Can I make a change? Perfect. Right. I mean, coming up with the name is, you know, that that's not the treatment. That's just like noticing, oh, this is something that I actually don't know much about cause I don't have a usual word or way of working with it yet.
0: I think it's beautiful though that you do that because it helps you connect to what that pulse feels like. So you remember it, it's like putting the flag, you know, on the moon, you've been there before. Um, especially, you know, obviously with the, the, uh, the classics, the way we learn pulses, it's like you just, it's hard to connect with a knife scraping over bamboo feel, you know, because you just, no, don't do that. So I think it's because
1: I don't cut bamboo. My wife does it, that.
0: She cuts the bamboo. She cuts the bamboo. <laughs> you have a bamboo garden.
1: No, but she like she gets fresh bamboo from local Chinese farmers, and uh, you know we have it for dinner. Oh, great! Yeah, <laughs> yeah you look pretty healthy. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's a great cook. Good. Yeah, so being able to to name things, you know, with our own name, so to speak, mm-hmm. it gives it a kind of a reality. I'm super glad we're having this conversation because I'm looking forward to the next time I'm in clinic. And poking around with these assure uh, points and, and seeing if I can get them to talk to me in a different way.
0: You know, for instance, if you palpate it and you hit a spot and a person has a, a jump response or a startle response, that means that that spot, most likely, has a lower mechanical threshold, right? The lower the mechanical threshold, the longer it's been there. So compared to the spot that you hit and you're like, holy shit, you know, and they jump off the table versus the, Oh, Oh, that's pretty tender. That actually it'd feel great if you massage that. So that, that compared to the other one, that one's probably going to become what I call it X versus O. So an X we always mark is a really, really uh, sensitive spot, lower mechanical threshold diffuse specificity versus the, oh, I just want you to massage that a little bit. That That's tender, but there's something there. That one eventually will become more tender if untreated, right? So it's almost like there's these little, you know, those sensors are giving birth to other little sensors. Like if somebody has a shoulder pain and they don't treat it, there's going to be some hot spots there for sure. Maybe it's in the trap, whatever, but eventually all of a sudden, you know, you fast forward and it's creeping down the arm. It's creeping up the neck. And then next thing you know, you know, they haven't treated it. It's a couple of years later. And then they're the person that in every conversation likes to talk about their shoulder problem. Hey, have you been Michael? Uh. Oh man, my golf game just hasn't been there because of the shoulder problem. You know, everything becomes that. So if you can catch and understand the difference between those, again, they become your roadmap too. And even if you don't know the the kinetic chain and how those lines follow, if you're just following those kind of X's and O's, so to speak, they'll at least, you know, take you a little further down the path.
1: So you kind of are making your own contour map, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so let, let me make sure I got this right. The ones that are... Oh, that's tender. Yeah. Massage that. That feels good. That's a newer one or an older one?
0: That's a newer one. That's a newer one. And the ones ones where you
1: press it and their eyeballs pop out. Yeah. That's the one that's been there a while. Exactly.
0: So that's going to be chicken versus egg. Like where'd we start? So, you know, you always want to get those first. And most likely a lot of those are going to be the ones that you have probably felt before. They're probably going to be the ones that you've pushed on and they're really, you know, ropey or hypertone. So, but to get the person's feedback and to see the difference later after you've uh, done some treatments, you know, it's fantastic because again, it's a therapeutic meter. All of a sudden you're pushing on those spots and they're not hot anymore. And let's say they're saying their shoulder 70% better. Great. It's time to find the other area that you're not working on that you should be working on. Right. So you've gotten this cleaned up for instance, with a, a shoulder, you have back arm lines and you have front arm lines, and there's a deep one and there's a superficial one. So it's common that you have both anterior and posterior sides involved. And so you've been working the posterior side and things are, you know, they're, they're at a certain place. Well, now it's time to check what's going on up front and, and see, you know, which one of those lines are involved. Because... You know, and again, this goes back to dysfunction versus compensations. I'm just going to throw this one out here because this is a common one you see. Somebody has a shoulder issue, their AC joints compressed, you know, all this stuff. But what happens is they're kyphotic and the shoulder blade has to fall out to the side. It has to be pushed out to the side, right? Shoulder is going to roll forward, going to compress that joint. Then when you go in into abduction or, you know, even extension and abduction combo, whatever, um, it's going to compress that joint. And then that's one day their shoulder's fine. Next thing you know, they go to get the can of chicken soup out of the counter and they tear their super spinatus, right? So we're whacking away on their shoulder, but we never treat the kyphosis. The shoulder's always in the same crappy position, never gets resolved because we never worked on that kyphosis. So you,
1: you got to put it back where it belongs.
0: Yeah, you got to put it back where it belongs. So again, that's just a, a an example of we put the fire out, but how do you set this person up for long-term success, right? So- And in that case, that situation, there's going to be both lines involved, you know, from the posterior and anterior aspect of the the arm and the shoulder. Um, What's going to happen, though, is one's going to be working hard and one's going to be really restricted and tight. And the other one's going to be tight and short because it's gone through more of an adaptive shortening phase. You take point A, point B, bring them close together. They're going to be tight and short. Even understanding the difference of those, you know, becomes really important for uh, long-term success.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting too, for me, how you talk about dysfunction versus compensation and our bodies are so incredibly malleable and adaptable. There are all kinds of compensations that we will do over time. It keeps us going. Often it can keep us going a long time, but it's, it's also taking us down a path that at some point, you know, end of the road, pal. Yeah. Yeah right? And so to be able to differentiate compensation from dysfunction and how to recognize, oh, someone's actually taking themselves off the rails in slow motion. You know, how how can I stop this? I mean, this is one of the great things about Chinese medicine is, you know, supposedly the best Chinese doctors sweep away the problems before they arrive.
0: Yep. That's beautiful. You know, that speaks to this scenario that everybody has happened on a regular basis that a person comes into your clinic and the first thing you hear is oh my neck is killing me or name your own body part i don't know what happened i just woke up this has never happened before but really it's been brewing for a long period of time those compensations have been compounding and, you know, hey, the only compound we want is in our bank account, right? In our 401k. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Outside of that, normally, it's not, uh, not always awesome. So there's a compounding effect that takes place. And the difference between pain and no pain can be a sixteenth of an inch. But they've been dysfunctional and compensating for a long period of time. So when you're talking about sweeping away the problems, you know, I think first in that situation, letting the person know, I, I know you feel that way. I know you feel like this just happened because that's pretty common that as I'm feeling your neck, it's moving like a giant rod, metal rod. Like it's been like this for a while. You know, again, we want to put the fire out, but we have to get mobility back in here, right? We have to get these restrictions and stuff, get this chi and blood. You know, I don't really speak to my clients as much with about chi and blood. I talk to them about stagnation and stuff,
1: but yeah, we got I, to get this I, I'd moving. like to tell them I want to take the kink out of the hose. They get that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, connecting with whatever metaphors, but yeah, so sweeping those away. But that's a a common thing I think that we see a lot is I don't know what happened. I just woke up and it, this has never happened before. This is here it is now. But usually those compounding compensation effects, you know, don't play out very
1: well. No. And they end up in our, like you say, they end up in our office. I just reached down to pick something up off the floor. So, you know, I could go on and on with this kind of thing because it's of interest to me and I feel like I need to learn so much more about it but I'd like to shift just a little bit and talk about some of the treatment that you do I mean name of your your therapy is you know Dow needle, right? Dao needle. Not Dao like Dao De Jing the Dao, the yeah, hat, yeah. but Dao yeah. like knife.
0: Yes, exactly. Right? So, yeah. so
1: so cleverly, you use the pinion instead of the English word because my suspicion is if you said, yeah, I've got some knife needle therapy, it might be harder to get patients into your clinic.
0: Yeah. And so I started with knife needle therapy because that's all I knew it as. You know, people like drama. So there were some patients that are like, oh my God, I went and told everybody I got knifed. Uh, so, <laughs> so you get so, the drama
1: queens in, yeah. that's
0: great. So people that have had it done, they really like to tell their friends that they got knife. So sometimes I still tell clients that are fun, playful clients that, you know, the word dows is a, the, the, actually the word for knife. And so they can still have fun with it. But yeah, it's not a very marketable name, especially when people just even hear about acupuncture and they're like, no way, needle's getting stuck in me. That sounds horrible. So uh, a knife being stuck in you, uh, they send, usually send their spouse funny enough, right? You're
1: gonna stick a knife <laughs> in <with> my spouse. <laughs> so um, hey, you, you want you want to hear something funny? I'm gonna. I just want to. This is a a, a slight aside, and then we're gonna get back to this. So I, I had a patient in one day who you know had some pain. I go, well, is it is it like a dull pain or a stabbing pain? And he says, well, stabbing pain doesn't really feel like anything. And I'm like, what? He goes, I got stabbed once, and it's just more like this warm, wet feeling at first. Wow. <laughs>
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've always wanted to know what that felt like, I think you uh, had somebody speak to that honestly.
1: Well, you know, it's like when you get a paper cut at first, you're like, oh, I think that is going to hurt later. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I digress. I, I'm curious to know how you came to doing this kind of work with, with needles or knives or, I mean, what are you actually using here, first of all?
0: It's called knife needle. So it's an acupuncture needle. It's just different. Instead of that cylinder, you know, ballpoint pin kind of shape, if you will, that cone shape, it's got a beveled, chiseled edge to it.
1: Like some of those old needles that you see in the displays of the nine traditional needles.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not quite as big as like a sword needle or something crazy. So it's a different style of needle. And I'll, I'll tell you why it's important. But the background of where I, why and where I started using that needle is I had a, um, A friend of mine who was from South Korea, and she's an acupuncturist, and so she unfortunately had to have a mastectomy, so she had her right breast removed, and so she was having a lot of cording and and fascial pain and and stuff like that on that right side, and so she was doing acupuncture to herself on a regular basis, and then she was getting a lot of uh, myofascial work and some deep tissue stuff, which typically is really good for really good for that condition. Uh, but she was just having limited success. So it helped a little bit but she was just really stubborn and becoming chronic. So her family still lives in South Korea. So she goes back for three months at a time. So she went to South Korea and she went to an acupuncturist and the acupuncturist is like, Oh, I don't know why I like to use my, my Asian uh, language here, but Oh, we, we need to use knife needle on you this person, it was kind of more feeling restrictions and needling it. So, you know, in South Korea, they use it a lot for tendon stuff and breaking up scar tissue and adhesions. So basically that's what she had done, but one treatment, she felt dramatically different. Um, So she got more treatments and then she ended up staying there and studying um, on how to use the needle and stuff with this person. And so, you know, luckily she brought it back to the States and, and taught me and we spent time doing it and, understanding it, and I got to use it on her and playing with it, and then, you know, I had some needles and I stuck them up on my shelf and it became just kind of out of sight, out of mind. You know, I was excited about it, but like, this didn't know what to do with it yet. Right. And so I put it up on my shelf and I had this patient. You were, you
1: were waiting for the right song to come along to uh, inspire
0: you. I was waiting for that nudge. And so I had this uh, patient come who, I, I feel really terrible for even saying this, but I've been treating him, uh, at this point, it was like 15 years. But he's just been, you know, a good patient. He started when I was just doing massage, and so I mainly did more body work kind of stuff on him. And then he was seeing my uh, my buddy, who's a chiropractor. So he was getting, you know, chiropractic and all this done. He's a golfer; he golfs like four days a week. He's like, you know, I, I just want to talk to you about this. We've been doing some work for a long time, and I still have this horrible stabbing pain, just to the medial. Well, he didn't say medial border, but the medial border of his right scapula, you know, level with about T three, T four, T five. And so he's like, Do you think we'll ever fix that? And I'm. Honestly, in my mind, I'm like, I totally forgot about that. You know, it was just one of those things you get comfortable working with somebody. So it it really put me in check. And so when he said that, I had my aha moment. Wait, I have these awesome needles and he has this stubborn pain. And it seems like it's a perfect time to do that. So I'm like, hey, I have an idea. <laughs> How would you feel if I use these knife needles on you? I went and I got those out and he was totally game and we did it. And uh, sure enough, after uh, it was probably two treatments, uh, it was gone. So made three minutes gone. And so to this day, he still doesn't have it. So, you know, again, it was like a right tool for the right situation. He'd been using these other tools. And so that really opened my eyes up to possibilities. I'm fortunate to have a busy clinic. Um, I founded my office in 2001 and we have a lot of different practitioners that work with me now in different therapies. So to me, it's my playground. And so I have awesome clients that I'm just like, hey, how uh, you know? Would you feel if I tried this on you and play? And so I started just diving deep into it and working with my clients and kind of testing the waters with certain things and realized the effectiveness of just the power of using that needle with that different tip, but. Going back to our dysfunction compensations, there's kind of a hole with it, right? So they use it more, again, in South Korea for tendons and, and scar tissue and stuff. But when you start treating muscles and start treating pain and the whole kinetic chain, what happens is, you know, if you're treating, again, somebody's shoulder, but you don't really correct that kyphosis, then you're really not getting a long-term correction. So you're breaking that qi and blood stagnation for sure without a doubt. And you're breaking up those adhesions locally, but then you have to go back and, and look at the missing pieces. That's when I started taking my background and really putting together a really nice thorough system of adding more diagnosis and differentiation with the passive blend of passive and active therapies and, and stuff like that. And then, you know, over a six year period, down needle therapy, you know, has finally has finally arrived as what it is. And so it's constantly evolving. And I'm constantly working on it. I'm learning some things the hard way about what's too much information, what's not enough and, and, and stuff like that and getting great feedback from people uh, and students that are taking the courses. And so that's how it was born.
1: Wow. So using the, the knife needle, and I want to get a little more into that in just a second. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a piece of what you're doing along with really some pretty sophisticated diagnosis. Yes. And, yeah. and, and the knife needle itself is used specifically to break up lots of stagnation. Would you necessarily use it at, I'm going to call it the root aspect of what's going on with someone? Or or, or is sometimes that just something that you'd correct with some exercise or some uh, postural realignment or, or just having them do things in a different way, different habits?
0: Yeah, both those answers are correct. I definitely, you want to use it for that root area for sure. Um, But, again, I always like to reinforce with those corrective exercises. And, you know, they're very different treatments if it's, let's say, excess versus deficient. So, if somebody Uh comes in and they're excessively tight, right, or shortened in certain fibers, we're going to treat it a little differently. If somebody is weak in part of that chain, then the needle style changes and the the corrective exercises change, obviously. You
1: know, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm if I'm tracking this correctly, I would think that the knife needle super helpful for excess. Maybe you wouldn't use it so much for deficiency.
0: Well, it, you, we use it. We just use it differently. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to get into, uh, but we we do treat differently as far as where we're treating and how we're treating and depth and stuff like that. But the great thing about the knife needle is. We do have to, I've challenged this many times. And the, the fault that I, when I first started, that I really, at the beginning of my class, try to get people to understand is I want you to be really open-minded to who and what person this would be applicable to. Because for me, like I used to think back in the day, all right, this, this 82-year-old lady clearly isn't going to be able to handle this style of acupuncture, right? And I was completely wrong.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Tell Tell us about that.
0: Well, you know, so I have, and I'll just use this this person as an example. I have this nice 82-year-old lady. So at the time, she was probably like, I don't know, 78 when I did this with her, but she had a really pretty severe scoliosis and she had shoulder pain and back pain and, you know, pain everywhere. And so, you know, I was giving her some corrective exercises and she was really good about doing them and we were seeing changes. Um, But I decided one day, I'm like, you know, let's, let's try. I mean, you have so much restriction in some of these areas. Let's try. And to be honest, she hates regular acupuncture. So this wasn't easy to talk her into at first. I mean, to put a regular needle in her is usually pretty uncomfortable for her. So I talked her into it, and she did way better with it than she did with the regular acupuncture. She loved it, and she had no problem with it. So, you know, I was assuming what somebody could or couldn't tolerate. So this goes back to patient communication is huge. And this, this, I could have a clash just on patient communication. I own a couple other businesses where we have um, a lot of massage therapists. So um, between all of the businesses I have, we have over 100, masa- about 100 massage therapists. And a lot of issues we have comes down to patient communication, right? So we I have to spend a lot of time in this area of coaching and talking about this. But when we're working with patients, first of all, don't assume what they can or can't do. You need to empower them and let them know, Hey, you know, here's what I want to try. Here's why. But at any time you're the boss, if there's, we have lots of tools in our toolbox. And if something's not a good fit, you make sure you tell me we can change it at any time. Right? So that's what I started doing and stopped assuming who was a good fit, whether it's a body type or like, for instance, I had a person that had fibromyalgia and they were um, obese. And really, if you go to put a little pressure, just a little pressure uh, with palpating, they jump off the table. So I didn't, you know, again, I was like, Down needle I don't think they're going to be able to really do that. And I stopped assuming one day, and I tried it, and they responded beautifully. Much easier than manual manipulation. So patient communication and empowering the patient that they're always in control. It doesn't matter if you're doing regular acupuncture or cupping or gua sha or down needle or whatever, they should always be empowered to, to know that, Hey, we're developing a relationship. We're going to figure out the right tool. You know, down needle specifically is it's bread and butter is acute pain, chronic pain and scar tissue. So I'm not using it really to treat insomnia. So it's, it's, you know, I'm using it for musculoskeletal stuff,
1: right tool for the right job. Right tool for the right job, baby. Right tool for the right job. I, I had a shop class when I was in the eighth grade, which was really fun because we got to make stuff. But the main thing I remember from that shop class, this teacher would always say, say, right tool for the right job, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck with me all these years. And it's poignant for me at this moment having this conversation with you, hearing about using what many people would call an aggressive kind of technique, right? Or something that that's going to have a lot of chi to it or you know really be breaking some stuff up. And yet, if it's the right thing at the right moment for that person, even if they look weak because they've got this area where they've got all this stagnation, you get in there and bust up the stagnation, they're going to say thank you. You know, the experience for them is going to be I feel so much better, right? If you do the right thing at the right time, it, it might B, I'm using air quotes here, an aggressive treatment, but because it's exactly what they need, they're going to respond well. That makes a lot of sense. And it's one of those things too. It
0: feels like uh, a lot of people just feel like they've had a release that they haven't been able to get. Or I always like to say, it's like an itch that finally got scratched. that just never felt like it was ever really scratched, you know? Another thing too, when it comes back to aggressive, if you will, or that- it's really, again, it, it, like, for instance, you came up with that. I never said it was aggressive, right? Right. So that was yes. something you, you, you came up with based off of what your mind's perceiving it as. And so this is, again, an example of a mindset. Like, you don't know until you try. But what, what I have found is, and again, I don't we're not need to get in the dry needle world, but all of the people, all of my patients that have come in that have had dry needling done this hurts way less than that. And so if that amount of people are going out, which there's a lot and getting that therapy done, there's plenty of room for down needle therapy and treatments. And the other thing is usually, to be honest, what hurts the most is your palpating. You know, when you're pushing on those spots and finding those tender spots, usually that's more tender than, than doing the needling.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate you pointing out mindset for me because, yes, my mind was going, oh, aggressive. That's aggressive. And, And really what it is, it's appropriate. I've got the idea, oh, big needle, maybe a lot of stimulation that equals aggressive. Well, if that is what is actually being called for and that's what's appropriate, then it's not aggressive. It's just what's called for.
0: Yep. And the needle, when you know, when you're doing the insertion, the needle actually goes in and right back out really fast. So there's not a lot of at least there is a time where I use it where there is a little bit more, but that's at a different level. But for the most part, you're going into those usher points, into those restrictions, into that scar tissue. You're coming right back out really fast. And and once you develop the technique of utilizing it and your speed and your rhythm. And your depth, then it becomes pretty effortless. It becomes pretty, pretty comfortable for the person. It's an amazing tool that has an amazing place that needs to exist in everybody's practice when they're treating musculoskeletal stuff. And the reason I wanted to dive into this for a second is I'm a gadget guy. I own lasers and cryotherapy chambers and hyperbaric chambers and shockwave therapy machines and magnetic resident mats and like all that stuff. But I like to play with all them and prove like their effectiveness. So I think someday when I have time, I'm just going to write a whole, have like a blog on just me playing with toys or, you know, proving them with, you know, whatever tools I use, thermal imaging or, you know, all that jazz. But so I have a force gauge or a pressure gauge. And basically what that is, is it it picks up the peak pounds of pressure and that I use when somebody uh, has that illicit jump response or when they say it's really tender. And so I've played a lot with our sure points and measuring those mechanical thresholds and utilizing a lot of different tools. And so I've used different gauges of acupuncture needles, and I've did different manipulations, some from Jerry Gentle, some to more aggressive, and measured, and none of them compared to changing that mechanical threshold compared to the, the Dow needle. And even smaller gauges, or bigger gauges, I guess, of Dow needles, the difference, like the one we use is kind of a sweet spot. So I tried to use a gauge that is a little bit more fine, but even it doesn't elicit the same change, right? And so then I've done lasers on Usher points, and I've used different massagers on Usher points, and I've done, you know, some Graston or Gua Sha or whatever you want to call it on Usher points. And I've used shockwave therapy on Usher points. And again, just that needle and that particular tip to that needle and stuff has the most dramatic effect you know, on the change of that mechanical threshold into that tissue. And a lot of that goes into, you know, the science, you know, of needling. If I'm doing manual manipulation on somebody where we're using a shockwave or a laser, we're not actually putting a lesion into the tissue. And the bigger that lesion is, um, you know, again, you don't want to go too big, but the bigger bigger that lesion is, I think it just has a much more dramatic effect For telling your body, hey, let's restart the process here. We got to pay attention. Let's start sending some repair cells down here, send in some new blood flow to this area. It's got kind of, I always say your body gets stuck in stupid sometimes, right? And so we're (laughs) we're trying to break stupid. And sometimes to break stupid, you have to talk a little louder to it, right? And so, uh, and therefore that bigger, that lesion then lasts longer. Now, I don't have any science ab- behind this, but I like to use the example that if I put a regular acupuncture needle in, maybe the body's still doing work for 24 hours, right? And when I put a down needle in, the body's doing work for 72 hours, right? So it's, it's, it's like, hey, we're going to continue to give this attention, you know, send some the inflammatory soup stuff down here and really like start getting some good repairs. And, and it's like a reset button. So the tissue has hope. Your tissue has hope.
1: Yeah, I like that. Maybe because I live in Missouri and you're from Missouri, you know, that, that thing about stupid, you know, we always talk about stupid here, you know, you can't, can't cure stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we get into these homeostatic balances. Homeostasis doesn't mean health necessarily. It just means that the body knows how to keep itself where it is you know, in a way that lets it kind of get stuff done. And being able to reset the homeostatic balance, I think is really important and and really, really helpful and often very difficult because even though the body has found a balance that lets it get stuff done, it may not be optimal. You know, which we talked about earlier will take us down the road that, you know, a few weeks, months, years, oh, now the conversation always includes the shoulder. Yep, exactly. Right? Because yep. we haven't been able to change that balance. So it sounds like you have been experimenting with lots of different ways. You're kind of a mad scientist, it sounds like. Uh, that's so much fun. Yeah, and and found some ways of helping to really reset things in a pretty profound way. I think we all need to be a little bit of mad scientists in our practice,
0: though, right? Works for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, when you're all in, you're all in. And I think that, you know... It should be fun, and it should be uh, something you play with and continue to, you know, hey, if somebody hasn't tried it, it doesn't mean it's not something that could be applicable or work in
1: a good way, so give it a try. Yeah, it just means I don't know about it yet. Give it a whirl. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, where would people find out more about what you're doing? Uh, daoneedle.com. So D A O
0: Needle.com is the website. I am doing some fun changes to it right now, so there's some parts that are under construction. We are... Or I am, I guess I should say, playing around with. I'm, I'm launching a foundations course this year. So one of the things, just to be my own uh, critic here, um, with the course is it's a lot of information. So my level one course is two days. All of the feedback I get, the biggest thing is, is um, it needs to be longer. And so I'm trying to find that balance of not too much information, but not also um, sacrificing my beliefs. In where we need to go, because I really do believe in long-term correction. And, you know this marriage of passive, active, and adding all these these things in. So I'm having my first actual um, foundations course coming up in a couple of weeks, where I'm just doing kind of a one-day immersion in it. Um, and then uh, later this year, I'm going to have a foundations course in uh, Santa Cruz. And the difference with the foundations versus the level one, the level. One, you're getting all the postural analysis, you're getting all the functional tests, you're getting that skill set. Mm-hmm. That we talked
1: I, about earlier, so essential in being able to actually see what's happening for people.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the foundations course is going to be different. Um, what I find is people, again, just it, I'm, I'm going to try to lay a different groundwork where I'm doing more protocols and not going over some of that stuff. So I'm going to be doing a lot of different treatments for you know, the knees and hips and all that good stuff. So you're going to have a really deep experience and rich experience on how to utilize the needle and really getting the finesse and the depth and the angle and the mapping and grading of our share points and stuff like that. And then I'm going to see how that then blends into the level one, because I think that the level one, is so much information that when you go to work on Monday morning, your head's spinning with all this information, and I just want to make it as user friendly as possible. Okay. So, so let me
1: make sure I understand. So yeah. the, the which is the one that gives you the the diagnostics, really being able to see where things are.
0: Yep, the level one course.
1: That's the so, level one. Okay, yep, the level all right. one.
0: Yep, the level one course, and it doesn't. You can take either one in any order at this point. So if you want to take the level one, you're still getting your hands. It's all very hands-on. There's very, it's like two hours of lecture time and it's super high paced and super fun. So we just have a good time. Um, So the level one course is going to be really rich with all that information.
1: Well, thank you. I, I have so enjoyed our conversation today and it's given me a ton of new things to think about along with this sort of you know back of my mind inquiry into posture and alignment and you know just stuff that's been like nagging at the back of my head i've now got uh i got some new things to think about and try out so i really appreciate it i appreciate you i
0: appreciate you uh having an interest and taking the time to to chat today so I, i really enjoyed myself michael
1: thank you you're welcome all right well you have to go to a baseball game right that's right all right well thanks for being on the show today thank you michael have a great day hope you all have enjoyed today's conversation. If you found something helpful and clinically useful here on Chiological, please be sure to share it with your friends. You can also help to support the podcast by purchasing a membership and becoming a Chiologician. Not only do you get the satisfaction of contributing to something that you enjoy, but you'll also get access to some special episodes exclusively for Chiologicians. And for those of you who sign up for a yearly membership, You'll get one free CEU podcast every year. These CEU podcasts will be out in the middle of October. Also in October, Toby and I will be in Portland, Oregon with the introduction to Sa'am Acupuncture. This is going to be the last of the live classes that we do this year. Join us in Portland if you can. If you can't, join us on the live stream. And if you're a new practitioner, we still have a couple of open spots for scholarships Visit geological.com slash S-A-A-M dash class for more information. And finally, while those reviews on iTunes or social media are nice to get, what I really love is to have a postcard from you. Leaving a message and a like on the internet, you know, that might be good if you're interested in social media engagement. But what I prefer is a few heartfelt words from you on the back of a postcard. Yeah, that might be a little old school, but so is the medicine that I practice. All right, friends, that's it for this week. Tune in again next Tuesday for another conversation on everything geological.